With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson. We'll be joined in a second here by Matt Fortuna. But today we have a special guest. He is not the starting offensive tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. He's the voice of Notre Dame football on NBC, Mike Tirico. Uh, we had a great interview with Mike. Um, some really cool insights about Brian Kelly covering Notre Dame football uh, and what he's really looking forward to on November 7th. So let's get straight into Mike Tirico from NBC Sports. Pleased to welcome this week's guest to the Shamrock. He is Mike Tirico of NBC Sports, host of the Olympics, the Indy 500, Kentucky Derby, the Open, the Masters. Great guy, Notre Dame football. I'm trying to give you the full Roger Bennett Men and Blazers intro here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mike, thanks for coming on the show to talk a little bit about Notre Dame and sort of what what it's been like the last few years calling Notre Dame games, what it's like calling Notre Dame games this year. Um, Yeah. And I guess... Well, it's fun to be with you guys, and it's disappointing, Pete, because, like, this... This takes away 15 minutes of my week. I, yeah. I like listening to the, the full Shamrock pod. And when we get to this part, I don't have to listen because I've just gone through it. But uh, you guys do a great job. It's fun to be with you both. Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed Mike McGlinchey last week. He had some good I, I uh, did. tales. I, I, I have no my, – my offensive line skills stopped when I was a seventh grader playing under the Whitestone Bridge in Queens, New York, where I grew up. After that, my <laughs> offensive line days were done. So I, uh, I do not belong in this, in this thread, but I'll just hang my best I can. Well, why don't we start just with I was Matt and I have both spent some time with Brian Kelly, um, you know, in one-on-one settings, and you get to do more of that being, or in certainly small groups with with Tony Dungy or Doug Flutie and you know Rob Highland and that group. And I've always found Brian Kelly to be very insightful, funny, personable in those small group settings. Um, so I was curious about your experiences with him and, and also sort of comparing and contrasting that with all the other head coaches, whether it be major programs or NFL franchises, how maybe he is is different from the other coaches you've sort of dealt with over the years or, or maybe similar in some ways. Yeah, Pete, it's a good question. So like going back through my college football life, ESPN studio show, covering the championship game on the road, and then doing Thursday nights with uh, Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso, and uh, going through all of that and then working ABC games on Saturdays, whether it's at Central Michigan or Cincinnati, paths crossed with Brian a couple of times along the way. And then a few more times with Notre Dame, although I never did any Notre Dame games during my ESPN ABC days. So we had a knowledge of each other and I think had certainly professionally met a few times. But once uh, once this started, it was a little bit different, uh, a little bit different atmosphere. And I probably went in expecting the typical coach media national broadcaster relationship in the meetings. And I came away 
in, in a very different mindset after a couple of games. So you, you have to also remember, this is the window where the four and eight season happens. Brian goes through a bit of this evolution of coaching and leadership and CEO and all that stuff. And uh, we got to see that from the ground floor up. And from that point on, I think you guys have been around it a lot longer than me. You can have a better perspective. There's, there's like an honesty and a candor with Brian that you don't find with other college coaches. And then you stop and look and you go, well, the guy's been doing this for 30 years. So he pretty much has experienced almost everything, including having thick enough skin to understand what it takes to sit in that chair. It's a unique chair. It's a different chair and it requires a different guy. That's a long way of saying the half hour that we spend before the home games with Brian is probably as enjoyable a half hour as I have every single week during the football season. Uh, they're, they're informative conversations. They're football informative. I think we've developed a trust with our crew and, and Brian being there week in, week out for the last few years. Uh, but we also like to talk football, life, a whole bunch of different hockey, politics, a whole bunch of different stuff. And it becomes a half hour of an enjoyable conversation, not just, hey, what happens if your backup left guard comes over, uh, gets hurt? Do you slide somebody in? Is there somebody from the right side? It's business, but it's also uh, an enjoyable conversation. I hope he feels that way because I certainly do about our visits. Mike, what kind of challenges has this year presented where you're probably not able to do that in person? And if you are, you're going to be under a time crunch because you're getting in the day of the game. I mean, how much more difficult, not to make you complain, but how much more difficult is your job this year? No doubt, Matt. I mean, everybody who's doing their job knows that our jobs have become uh, 25 to 30% more difficult and probably 50% less enjoyable, right? Uh, but that's, that's everybody, every single person, every walk of life. So there's no complaining or whining about it. It's just how do we adjust to it? Um, you know, for us, the typical rhythm of our weeks when we cover the home games would be, you know, for me living in Ann Arbor, I drive over to South Bend early afternoon Thursday, get there, watch practice Thursday. We go out and watch a Thursday night football game on TV for a half and grab dinner somewhere in town. Uh, Friday, do our meetings over at the Goog. The visiting team comes in for a walkthrough. You see them dinner Friday night. We do our production meetings in and around all that stuff. And then you go to the game Saturday. This year, it has been do all those meetings via Zoom calls. So Friday, it's now become Zoom calls with Brian Kelly, with Clark Lee, with Tommy Reese, with the players, and then drive over to South Bend, usually on Saturday morning. It's oddly bizarre. I'm, the, uh, the night game a few weeks ago, I'm in the car driving. I'm listening to college football games. Like, this is insane. I'm listening to Texas, Oklahoma, and I'm going to call a game on national TV in three, four hours. I've never done that in my life. So it's very different. It's, uh, it's taken away some of the opportunities to be around the Goog, see the players, have those uh, you know, kind of bump into the, in the hall conversations with the folks in the recruiting office or around the program. So I feel like uh, we're not as prepared as we otherwise have been, and it's been a little bit different, but uh, hopefully it's not showing up in the broadcast. I will say that um, everyone on the Notre Dame side and, and the visiting teams too, have made it just as easy to do our jobs as it can be in this situation and circumstance. And I think in normal circumstances, having a new analyst in the booth with you would be a challenge in these, right. in these times for, it doesn't sound that way at all based on your relationship with, with Tony Dungy. How has that transition been? And like, I, I, I think we exchanged a DM. Like I, I loved his part in the, the Florida state game about yeah. the, the counter plays and like, sort of getting on Reese a little bit and his pet peeves about like, go back to this play that's averaging 50 yards. Like how has that chemistry been? And where do you, why do you think that's been so good? 
Well, it, well, thanks for saying that. It's been fun because, you know, Tony is as incredible a person as you could ever be around. So spending the time around him is just a, it's a professional and personal treat. Uh, once you get past that, you get to the football relationship and working in TV. And we have worked on Football Night in America for the last couple of years. We have broadcast a few games on Thanksgiving night each of the last couple of seasons in the NFL. So not just in the booth where Tony hasn't done as many games as I have, but he's seen a heck of a lot more football than I'll ever dream about, right? So we're able to bridge that gap there with our relationship. And I've got to tell you, from the summer on, Pete and Matt, he has just jumped in full bore to watching Notre Dame and getting a great sense and watching uh, the coaches tape of the Irish from last year and watching broadcasts from last year and then watching this year. I mean, he has us, even in our off week, we've gone and done our hour film study together virtually to go back. Hey, here's some of the things that Notre Dame did in this first road game. Here's some of the things Notre Dame uh, is going to see in Clemson in a couple of weeks. We were a, a week ahead on Florida state because Tony had started watching them. So not only you're getting that, you're getting it from a Hall of Fame coach who is one of the brilliant defensive minds of our time. Uh, so you have that going for you. So the, the easy part comes with dealing with the players and the coaches because everybody sees Tony Dungy. They recognize him right away. I mean, how do you not want if, to – if you want to talk football with somebody or uh, I, I honestly answer a question, how can you not honestly answer a question from Tony Dungy, right? So uh, for us, it's been really comfortable and fun and uh, hopefully – that's showing on the air. And to your point, he's a football coach. So as a defensive guy who has seen, oh boy, we weren't prepared for that play, that counter, they're going to come back to it at some point, right? So he's able to express that. And that was new, that was new for me because that would be a head coach on the headset to the coordinator. Hey, let's make sure we come back to that. They haven't figured out a way to stop it. If you want to redress it, how it looks, or you want to wait a little bit till it's ready to pop at a big moment, come back to it. And to Tony's credit, he interrupted me the second it happened, and he's just kind of into the game that way. And I, I like that a lot. So like people say the same thing about me and Pete, but you know, I'll, I'll take yeah, your word for it with Tony. <laughs> I do. Um, who is someone in that building? This is your fifth year doing this now, and you get in there, you, you told us your schedule, you bump into people. Who is someone in the Goog who you think is maybe underappreciated, maybe flies under the radar a little bit, kind of a backbone of that operation who, who isn't a head coach and isn't a defense coordinator and isn't getting the kind of national credit and recognition that he deserves. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to give you Brian Polian a little bit because of the constant recruiting effort that's going on. Look, let, let, let's be real here, guys. When Notre Dame played Clemson in the playoff game, one injury at cornerback changed the tenor of that game. I, I would love to go see that game without that injury, right? Because we know that it was only three points in the first quarter and the second half was only seven points, I believe, for Clemson, right? I, I, I'd love to see that second quarter differently. And I bring that up because I look at Notre Dame's depth when I started with this project five years ago in that game and now, and they're better. They're deeper. They, they, can, they can withstand uh, injuries in certain spots and still be – uh, representative top teams in the country uh, type of players on the field. And that's the recruiting effort. And it, maybe, it's, um, maybe it's the uh, intentional nature of the recruiting. Uh, maybe it's zeroing in on the right guys at the right time, how they may have shrunk the stack a little bit to go after the right guys at the right time. But I think Brian Polian's energy, attention to detail in that position is a big factor in helping that. And also special teams. We've seen special teams have been 
uh, very impactful for the Irish this year. So it's all of it's all of that. It's a second head coach. It's a guy who's coached for four years at the at the FBS level. So you know, it's you you see him constantly interacting with Brian Kelly on the sideline, uh, conversation, a point of this or of that, right? I I just think that's a that's a terrific resource to have uh, in that building, and it's a resource of somebody who knows what it's like to be at Notre Dame for many years. And as you guys know, it's a different challenge than being at Georgia, being at Michigan, those things. So I'd say. Brian Polian would be one and Ron Paulus would be the other one because operationally uh, the way things work, the coordination of all the facets and aspects that come to touch what happens with Notre Dame football pretty much run through Ron at some point. And uh, I would say those two guys who don't get the Clark Lee or Tommy Reese attention headlines, et cetera, would be the two I would jump at right there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You mentioned Clemson a little bit. We're about 10 days away from that happening here. It, I mean, certainly in terms of Notre Dame games, the biggest one that you have, will have called here, I mean, you've been around Super Bowls and major, major events, but like, how is how do you anticipate that one feeling a little bit different? Aside, pandemic aside, um, yeah. just in terms of the rarity of a game like this here. Pete? If Notre Dame wins and Clemson wins on Saturday, which I think they are both favored to and most expect they will, it'll start the 168-hour, 35-minute countdown to that game. I can't freaking wait. I've been like that for two months, man. I, I, when, when the schedule got the shake out of the schedule and that ACC schedule came back out with Clemson on it, I was so excited because uh, I've seen Clemson in national championship situations. I've watched this team. They're, they're a sensational program. Uh, to see them at night in South Bend, that's rare. The history of that stadium, this will be, not that I've done early research on this, this will be game 490 in Notre Dame Stadium. Only five prior times has number one come in to play a top five Notre Dame team. You guys mentioned it in the pod earlier this week, the Florida State game uh, being the last of this level. But we're talking five times in the history of uh, what I you know overdue, but I love it. I, it's the Cathedral of College Football to me. It is 90-plus years of history. So many greats have played there. I cannot wait. I am so excited for that game. I'm, I'm going to kind of be nervous from noon to 7. People always say, you know, it's NBC. You know, are you rooting for Notre Dame? Are you the Notre Dame home announcers? Well, obviously, we do all the games. But we cover the Olympics, right? We, we cover sports with a need to be continually neutral. You know, I, I went to Syracuse. We called the Syracuse Notre Dame game. I was like, okay, good. No matter what happens, I'm biased for either school, right? That's fine. It's all good. I'll, I'll wait for that in December to happen, right? Although I don't know if my alma mater is going to provide many moments to prove of any, any sort of bias towards Syracuse. But the point is, we will treat Clemson like we did Georgia, like we did Michigan, as the other team playing against Notre Dame. But when Notre Dame doesn't play, I root for them to win because I want to have the best games we can have. You know, so I'll be rooting for them. I'll be rooting for Clemson on Saturday because a game like that does not come along often. And no one else but the folks at NBC get to do games like that in South Bend during this run of 30 years now. So, yeah, I, I want to see both of them play well on Saturday. Both of them get through the game healthy. And 
in, in this year of the completely screwed up, right, top to bottom, what would be more comforting for three and a half hours than one of the games of the year in college football at Notre Dame Stadium? That's something that spans generations and decades. And um, can you tell from my voice, I'm so hopeful and excited that we get the next Saturday night. Uh, it could be something special no matter what happens. Just the buildup will be great. It's why everyone I hear who, who listens to this podcast says all you guys talk about is the Clemson game and you're making this out to be a one-game referendum. And what's, yes. what's going to happen after that? It's like, well, they'll play again in the ACC championship game and we'll yeah. pump it up then. <laughs> um, but it does bleed into a question I want to ask you, which is especially for an opponent like this one, which isn't South Florida, it isn't Duke. I mean, you'll, you're not at a Notre Dame game this week. Are you watching Clemson already? What's your preparation like for an opponent of this magnitude? And as far as access and – you know, Dabo Swinney can be as paranoid as anyone. I mean, what's that like as far as dealing with that program um, coming into Notre Dame Stadium the week leading up to the game? That's a great question, Matt. And I'll, I'll just take Michigan and Georgia, the two big-time teams that have come into South Bend who don't regularly come in because USC, they know NBC covers USC at Notre Dame every other year. Same with Stanford, right, and Navy. So those schools have built uh, at least a, a factual – log of, you know what, these guys are really fair. They're down the middle. They're not running across the street to tell Notre Dame anything. You know, I always laugh when guys say that. I'm like, oh, okay. First off, I'm, I'm on like 300-something football games I've covered. Never once have I gone to go tell somebody something the other team said. Because if you did, don't you realize, like, the guys who are in the other building, they go places eventually, yeah. right? So they would <laughs> tell somebody. So you'd ruin your credibility. If you don't have your credibility, you don't have anything. Um, the Michigan game and the Georgia game, I think we're perfect examples for at least me that, you know, you, you come in in a different lens, but you also know, guys, I've been doing this for 25, 27 years. Uh, you think to you can't trust Tony Dungy. You can't trust me. <laughs> give, give us any information you want. You know I mean? We went through the, uh, got the temple game when Jeff Collins, the now Georgia tech coach was a temple and no, there's no too deep. There are guys who are above the line and below the line. Like, he still on, does man. that. It's not just, <laughs> I know like, like, honestly, I got what you're doing internally, but do you not realize that the people in the television world do help fund some of your program, right? Where would you be without this TV money? If we can't play ball in an honest way, then, you know, I got no time for that. that, that that's kind of silly. Schools have been great with us. We went down to Athens. We, we, well, our crew came to Ann Arbor. I'm here to spend time face-to-face -face with Michigan. Usually if it's a big game, we'll try to do face-to-face -face time. Uh, and travel to the other team. We went to Athens a couple of years ago and watched uh, watched Kirby Smart's team practice. It wasn't the week of Notre Dame, it was the week before. Spent some FaceTime with their guys. Uh, this is a week that we would have gone down to South Carolina and seen Clemson next week. Uh, but obviously, pandemic has changed all of that. But we'll talk to them during the week in video calls like all the, all the broadcast teams are doing. And we'll have a good back and forth with them. And I've, I've known Clemson folks. I've covered Dabo and championship game situations and Venables and those guys. So I, I don't expect them to treat us any differently. Uh, I will say that for me personally, it's been a great advantage because I've had no games the last two weeks, no NFL stuff, uh, no golf. So I've been able to get ahead, which is which I've never done. Like if, if the Clemson game was moved up to an hour and a half from now, let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm completely ready for that. So I'll just be adding off the next week, which is I've never been in a situation like that. It's kind of fun. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to what, that week is going to bring for all of us and and to the one game referendum point because i've heard you guys talk about this a lot yeah and i think notre dame's made it that way too and credit brian for going that way last week after the pittsburgh game you I know I, I, I think he knows pete that his kids are thinking that way 
and his fan base is thinking that way. So in 2020, when the elephant has just torn the room apart, you know, he's not just there or she's not just there, like deal with it. And maybe it appealed to the players and maybe it's why they played a sharper, crisper, better game in, in this uh, year of uncertainty. Now, I don't think the program is at this point where if they don't play well against Clemson, you go, oh my gosh, this is a, you know, Clemson's great. They're on an Oklahoma type all-time consecutive regular season win streak. They're playing for their third title in five years to win. And they've been in the other two. So um, this is a great, great team having one of those incredible college football runs on the heels of Alabama's incredible college football run. So Notre Dame loses this game. This is not the sky is falling. I, I just think it'll be fun to see those two programs on the field together. It's a great opportunity for Notre Dame to see how much they've advanced from the Georgia game a couple of years ago. And then we'll see, like you said, they might meet again. North Carolina might get in the way of that. Who knows what's going to happen in the ACC? Well, you mentioned Oklahoma's regular season win streak. You, your, your notes already indicate who ended that, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> I have it right over there. We're keenly, keenly aware of that, just yeah. in case that should come up during yeah. the week. Yeah. I mean, but you know what? You know what I've done, honestly, guys? I, I haven't said this to anybody. I'm trying to enjoy what I do more. We are so blessed to cover sports. I have unbelievable appreciation for what the administrators, players, and coaches in the ACC have done, and all college football. Um, to get to this point that we're sitting there Saturday night, bouncing back and forth, Matt, between Northwestern and Michigan on TV. Like, hey, this is great. We got games at 1030, even though they're not competitive. This is fun. Like, I miss that. Like, to, to, be, on the, um, to be on the governance side, uh, as I am connected with Syracuse, and understand the amount of hurdles that it took just to get to the start line this year and then to keep going. Um, I think for us doing what we do, it's a time to be very appreciative of this. So, yeah, I've been involved in some great college football games before and other sports and NBA finals and all that hullabaloo. But um, I'm coming to this hopefully next Saturday, no matter what happens this week with the games, with a very different appreciation for how lucky are we to be there at a game that people will talk about for the next 10, 15 years. When number one Clemson came in, if they're dominant, if it's a close game, if the Irish upset them, and we get a chance to be there for it and broadcast it to millions of people in America – Damn, we're lucky to do that. And I, I, I may not have felt that uh, emotionally connected to the job if it was just, okay, next week it's Notre Dame Clemson. But in this, in this world, in this time, I do. And um, I'm trying to embrace every part of that uh, that I can. Well, the last thing for me was I was just curious about the, the, your process of actually calling the games. And you and I have talked about this before, about you, you want your call to rise to the level of the audience. If it's Chris Fink going over a Michigan DB to catch – that pass in um, in 2018, you you rise yeah. to that level. When when there's 10,000 people there, how do you how do you moderate that and to to match the moment, but not sort of undersell it at the same time? It's a good question, and it is different. And I think in watching uh, my friends, my colleagues call games, we're all just a little bit muted, uh, depending on the depending on the venue and the excitement. You know. I, Gus Johnson called that Texas Oklahoma game. And then, you know, the missed field goal, third overtime started yelling, you know, big 10 Fox sports, uh, you know, uh, college football. Right. But there was juice in the cotton bowl. There were a lot of fans there and they were loud. There was juice to that moment. So you could, you could add that if that happened in the carrier dome where there are no fans right now or Pittsburgh where there were, you know, friends and family, it wouldn't feel the same. So the 10,000 plus the band 
had some juice and energy that first game. That's what I was tiptoeing through. And I felt the Duke game, like there's, there's much more energy in this building than the other games I've watched. I don't think that was there during the Louisville game. Uh, I think it will be there Saturday night if, uh, if, if it's everything we think it's going to be, right? No matter if it's 10,000, 11,000, the band, I just think they're going to be uh, passionate about the game more than maybe that Louisville game was. So uh, it's just read it, but I don't think it's the same as if you had 76,000 there. And I think all of us are doing that. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks are using football to get away from real life. So they want to have that joy and that excitement. You just want to make sure, like I said, to you previously that you match that moment. And uh, I, I think it's just read the room a little bit and make sure you're not screaming in a library and make sure you're not uh, whispering in a rock concert, something in between both works. Mike, I'm going to ask you something I, I get a lot. I grew up in Manhattan. I've at times felt like a fish out of water covering so much college football <laughs> yeah, right, because it's right. not exactly a hotbed uh, of the sport there. You're from Queens. What was kind of your introduction into the sport? And at what point did you realize like, hey, this is actually pretty cool like there's more to life than the Yankees and Mets <laughs> and right uh and waiting for the Jets to lose right yeah, exactly on Sundays <laughs> uh Penn State and Notre Dame football replays on Sunday mornings you know I'm a Penn State grad so you're really playing to the crowd here <laughs> right lived 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 in lived in a house in Queens with my with my grandparents my mom and I lived downstairs they were upstairs and grandma would come back from church on Sundays and you know Sunday mornings there was no sports center to watch so we're banging around on TV you're looking for any sports before the NFL remember the NFL pregame shows at that time came on at 12 30 before a one o'clock kickoff right and then they expanded them to noon before one o'clock as opposed to now when there's an entire network of just NFL chit chat between games right uh, so those replays and a lot of my early college football before you got to Keith Jackson on Saturday afternoon or those kind of things were the Notre Dame replays and Harry Callis, which a lot of Notre Dame fans will remember his involvement with the Notre Dame games that were rebroadcast, replayed, cut down to highlight version after an exchange of punts, that whole deal. So fast forward then a few years, Harry's son, Todd Callis, was my college roommate for a couple of years at Syracuse. And Todd, who's now the voice of the Houston Astros on TV and does a great job, has been a longtime friend. And like my introduction to his dad was as the voice of the Phillies for a long time and NFL films. But I remember him just as much from watching his replayed calls of the Notre Dame games as they re-aired uh, on Sundays in edited form in New York. So th that was a lot of my college football. And I, I do think about that when I walk in that stadium all the time. Like I used to watch this um, you know, on TV as a kid when there was one or two games a week or watch the Sunday highlights. And, and now you're here doing the games. And it is still a, it's still a pinch me moment. I never got caught up during my time at Syracuse and all that. Never got caught up in the aura of Notre Dame and all that. Like, oh, come on. You know, it's, how, can, how, how different can it be? And I got to tell you, the last four years, I've, I totally get it. Um, going to, living in Ann Arbor, going to the big house when schedules permit, great place traveling around the country, doing games at all these awesome venues. Like you appreciate it. It does feel different. You know, you, I, I try to get my head out of the booth and try to, we usually on Fridays pre pandemic, we walk from the Goog after our meetings to the stadium. And when you walk past uh, touchdown, Jesus, I can say touchdown Jesus without having to say the word of life mural on the Hesburgh library on first <laughs> reference uh, on the podcast only uh, when you walk past <laughs> and, and you see the stadium and the statues and you just kind of stop and you go, man, 90, 90 years of college football right here. And, uh, Everybody has seen it. Everybody who's watched college football has seen games from Notre Dame Stadium. 
Um, so I've gotten caught up in all of that, the history, the tie to the institution. And for a New York kid where the Subway alumni were real, right? Notre Dame was that other team along with Penn State. And, you know, you'd hear about Syracuse because you're in the same state. But that was my introduction to it. And uh, it's really cool that 40-something years later, I'm getting to live on a half dozen or seven Saturdays a year. I'm very, very lucky and do not take any moment in that stadium or especially in that booth for granted. But before we let you go, you're wearing a, an NBC Golf zip-up. The week after Notre Dame Clemson, the big news today as we record on Tuesday, College Game Day will be going to the Masters. Are you going to sneak down to Augusta and try to try to crash that uh, on your weekend off? I, I, I wish I could. I, I'm matter of fact, that one of my next things to do is to text Herb Street and just give him grief for that. Uh, be the guest picker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to be, you know? Wouldn't that be something? Uh, it wouldn't be as cool as joining us on the Shamrock, but we'll let you have it. Um, no, it would be cooler, uh, okay. to be honest. <laughs> but, but, but you know what? Like, that speaks to the power of college football. Um, college football has this incredible um, emotional connection with people. And for college football's you know, signature pregame show, right? Uh, that's no disrespect to the guys at Fox who are doing a great job with their show. But for that show be broadcast from Augusta National, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool for college football, right? Not just for that show, but that college football matters to so many people. Like, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm keeping track of what Syracuse is doing, you know, at 1.30 in the afternoon playing Liberty, and I'm getting frustrated wherever I am watching because you just care, right? Scott Van Pelt, who is usually part of ESPN's coverage of the Masters, and we're really good friends. Scott's got a great line. Everybody's from somewhere. And your somewhere comes out with college football, probably as much as any sport, right? And uh, to see them doing that, I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. I'm kind of, kind of going to miss being down there a little bit and you know, wave, put up a sign behind the behind uh, Desmond Howard about some silly thing, or wave the Washington State flag in Augusta <laughs> National, or <laughs> one of those silly traditions. So good for them and good for the sport as well. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining the show. We appreciate uh, the insights on, on Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, and uh, best of luck with the rest of the season. We will all be hoping for a fourth quarter that is mandatory television <laughs> on November 7th, will we not? Amen to that. From your podcast to the scoreboard's numbers uh, on that Saturday. And seriously, you guys do a terrific job. This podcast is fun to listen to. Somebody's around Notre Dame all the time, uh, watches every play. I still pick up something every time I hear you guys talking because your history and how much you uh, you care about the sport and uh, the fans who care about the team, which is really what it's all about. So thanks for all you guys do. We appreciate it. And I uh, hope to see you guys in person sooner than later. That was Mike Tirico. Thanks, Mike, here for his time. Uh, he's just like us, huh? Just, just kind of wanted to fast forward. He's ready to cover the Clemson game right now, as I think uh, me and you are as well. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of insight for our audience on Georgia Tech um, in terms of what's going to happen on Saturday. But yeah, it's, it is, it's such a once in, not once in a lifetime, but it is a generational type game on November 7th. Um, you know, number one coming in, top five game since 93. It's certainly the biggest game here since 2005, the Bush push USC <coughs> game that people are still writing oral histories about today. So it's 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 just impossible to move beyond or, or not move beyond Georgia Tech this weekend because Clemson is is what we all want to see. It's what Brian Kelly has talked about somewhat indirectly over the last week. I mean, I think our last podcast was immediate aftermath of the Pittsburgh game when 
I think we were both a little shocked the way that Brian Kelly came at, you know, just winning games isn't enough anymore. Um, you know, that's, we're, we're here to try to win a championship now. And, and there's, there's a belief that they can do it opposed to just an aspiration of it. Uh, that, you know, it's like, it just turns Georgia Tech into such a, barely a speed bump. Um, I would feel probably a little less, uh, comfortable if they were playing you know even boston college this weekend with jerkovic uh, never mind north carolina or louisville even. you know wake, i mean wake, yeah louisville wake forest um you know but they're playing a team that's that's really struggling big time at the bottom of the acc while clemson gets boston college so it's it you know barring something spectacular in the wrong way we're all going to get what we want on november 7th you brought up the bush push how many times do you think Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush will bring that up to Brady Quinn, uh, Fox's big noon kickoff pregame show the morning of November 7th as they preview the biggest game in Notre Dame Stadium in 15 years. It's not like they've ever talked about it before yeah, um, or uh, ever go back and forth with each other. As, uh, as I found out when I went to Fox last October, that game still comes up a lot, and Matt was very upfront with me. It's like, man, that just kills Brady, and I love it. I, I just love talking about that because um, he just – he just can't get over it, and I think that if you if you were trying to weight the history of that game, it pro- it bothers Quinn more than it uh, I think pleases or elevates Bush and Liner. Oh, absolutely! Um, I mean, they so, won th- what thirty four straight games and two yeah. national titles. I mean, it's just another game. Notre Dame wins that. I mean, Charlie White's got a ten year extension out of an almost win. Um, like yeah. that, I did a ten year look back at it in twenty fifteen. I spoke to Brady on the phone, and it was I, I didn't know him really at all at the time. And it was like the most canned interview I ever did. He was just railing on the refs, and he was still angry and bitter, and I loved it. It was like great content, and you still see that seep through, and it speaks to the rivalry and just how big these games are and how much they matter, um, as this one will if it's a good game. Um, you know, it will uh, – well, at least until the ACC title game when they get a rematch. But yeah. <laughs> it will still – Well, go ahead. Maybe we could have a quick word on Georgia Tech. I mean, the, the quarterback with Sims is interesting – they have some young skill position talent, but I think as we saw last weekend, if you're not really good on both lines against Notre Dame, that that is kind of you're you are sentenced to a three touchdown loss at a minimum. And Georgia Tech is not really certainly not good on the offensive line. Um, you know, they have Antonius Clayton, a transfer from Florida on the defensive line, who is a highly touted recruit, but you know, even on that side of the ball, it's not it's not a group that's going to scare you physically and Notre Dame is so that that is sort of we're at 29 straight games against unranked opponents this should be one of the easier ones in what will become a 30 game streak by Saturday night you know what what Mike said about Jeff Collins and Temple and above the line below the line (laughs) it's absolutely true I shadowed the ACC network for their broadcast debut in last year's opener which is Georgia Tech Clemson Jeff Collins's first game with the Yellow Jackets and I was in the production meeting that morning, and it was the announcers and everyone saying, we still don't know who's going to start a quarterback. Keep three cameras out there uh, when they break the huddle because they won't tell us and they won't give us a depth chart. Um, paranoia will always reign supreme in college football. Uh, I have a story running this week just talking to ACC coaches about you know what it's like preparing for Notre Dame. Is it different now that they're in a conference? How good are they? Uh, and I spoke to one defensive coach who's uh, – been around the block and he said and this will run uh wednesday i believe quote best Notre Dame team i've coached against end quote um and, and that seems to be a, a, a 
familiar theme. Um, with he's coached against a few of them, I hope. He has. He has. He, he's he's okay. a veteran coach who's seen a lot of good and a lot of bad uh, in his career on both sides of the ball. Um, I don't disagree with that. Um, I mean, I didn't even. I was going to going into that Mike Tirico interview thinking I want to ask him if he thinks this this is the best Notre Dame he's seen in five years doing this and. He basically answered that question without me even asking it, just talking about how much deeper they are since 2018 and how that 2018 game against Clemson was over basically the minute one of their best players went down and how that you know wouldn't probably be the case uh, in this scenario. Now, of course, Clemson's probably gotten a lot better since then too. Trevor Lawrence was a true freshman back then, and now he's a junior who's probably going to be the first pick in the draft and maybe win the Heisman Trophy. So um, we were talking about Georgia Tech, I think. There's a game Saturday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that 3.30? Yeah. I think it's PM. They, they do have some young, yeah. talented, skilled guys. But as you said, if you don't have it on both sides of the line, and Pittsburgh's a great example, right? I mean, they had one half of that equation with a great defensive line. It didn't matter. Um, they, they just couldn't generate anything on offense. They couldn't move the ball. They had one nice controversial catch on, like, the second drive of the game, and that was pretty much the bulk of their offensive highlights for the day. I, I think Georgia Tech may be capable of a, a, a broken play or two just because of the speed they, they have recruited to that roster so far, but uh, they are a turnover machine, um, and, and they're playing a team that uh, maybe hasn't always created takeaways or, or big game-changing plays on defense so far, but will absolutely make you pay for your mistakes if you decide to lob the ball up to, to Kyle Hamilton or run right into Jeremiah, Jeremiah Uso-Karamoa. Um, it, it, it's a, a team that, that's not going to get beat. And, and I mean, they're not going to get beat this week, but I, I don't see short of a, uh, a Florida State-type start, which I think was COVID-induced, um, I, I don't see this game being even close going into the second quarter. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned turnover machine. <laughs> Florida State... Louisville, South Florida, Georgia Tech, and Duke are all basically in the bottom 10 of most turnovers lost this season. And Georgia Tech is ahead of only Duke. Uh, 18 turnovers lost in six games. That is, that's really hard to do. Uh, Duke has somehow given away, given it away 22 times in six games. But um, yeah, it seems like a good weekend for a Kyle Hamilton interception or two. Um, and you know maybe we'll see if Notre Dame can get its pass rush going. I think that was probably one of the things from last weekend. We we're like, okay, it, they're n- not quite complete, but getting closer. Um, you know, if they can do that this weekend against an overmatched offensive line, I would think that'll only add to their confidence um, heading towards Clemson. All right, you have a a score prediction. I've been so bad all year on these. I'm, I'm going to let you go. I first. think last week was the first spread I got right all year. I p- kept picking Notre Dame to cover and they never did except for South Florida, which I don't think I picked them to cover. Uh, the line as we speak, it opened at 18 over under 62 and a half. It's now up to 20 with it over under a 57. I think Notre Dame covers. Don't know if they break 57. I say that because I don't know if Georgia tech will do their part um, in that scenario. Uh, I think Notre Dame wins this one 38-14. I like that. I think that's – I'm sort of in the the mid-30s. I, I have a hard time seeing Georgia Tech scoring two touchdowns um, and scoring more than twice at all. So maybe that's six. Maybe that's ten. Uh, but I'm not going to get them to double digits. So I'll, I'll go 35-10. I just – 
I think this is going to be a pretty comfortable game for Notre Dame. Um, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time assessing whether they were looking ahead or not. Uh, and then we'll, we'll just be a few more days closer to the game everyone want, has wanted to see since the schedule was made. Um, and yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be an awesome week next week, getting ready for, for Notre Dame Clemson. Mike Tirico's already there. I'm behind obviously, but uh, no one's quite as prepared as Tirico. Uh, but it's going to be a fun week next week getting ready for that, and Notre Dame and Clemson should both be undefeated when they get there. Let's make it exciting. Give me a prop. Ooh, prop bet. For uh, Georgia Tech, not for Clemson. We'll get to that. I think um, I think we'll go Kyle Hamilton interceptions at oh one point. You keep taking them right out of my – go ahead. At 1.5 because I, yeah. I don't think one is enough. Um, I, I will uh, give you uneven odds. Like I certainly would pay out higher at two than at one, but uh, I do think that – you could get action on both sides of the line at one one and a half. I uh, I was literally going to say Kyle Hamilton over one and a half interceptions. Just I think what Kevin Austin and Ian Book deep passes last two weeks. We've also kind of been yeah. on the same wavelength there. Uh, fun little backstory. Obviously, we know Kyle Hamilton is from Georgia. Uh, the apparel <laughs> website Sports Crack Apparel. Um, Notre Dame fans based out of Georgia. Many of you may have seen this in the last year or so. They, they sell a shirt. Uh, with the uh, the Hamilton play theme with uh, a number 14 football player in the Hamilton logo, and it says All-American. Uh, Jeff Collins has taken the liberty to wear that shirt on his own at many press conferences and practices to pass it off as Joe Hamilton, former All-American at Georgia Tech. I slid into those DMs of Sports Crack Apparel to get an official statement from them on this shirt. And they said, quote, originally it was for Kyle, but Joe was one of our favorite players when I was in college. Georgia Tech fans have embraced the Hamilton shirt more, including their coach, end quote. Uh, they also said Collins has bought a lot of those shirts from them and is a big fan, and Notre Dame hasn't said a word to them about it. So uh, <laughs> I, I guess we there's no controversy here. Oh. Everyone can have what they want. Kyle Hamilton can have his two picks, and I think uh, Notre Dame will take yeah, it. Yeah, th- I'm just going to have to have that move be below the line, to use Jeff Collins' terminology <laughs> in terms of like legitimacy, because – Look, Kyle Hamilton above all other Hamiltons, other other than Alexander Hamilton. So, what about Brian Hamilton? We gotta get him on the show at some point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure where that show would go, but uh, that would that would that would definitely be a show that would involve libations at the same time. So, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, per- perhaps we can do a live show at some point post pandemic. I live seven blocks Hamilton. from him. We can do it in one of our yards. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is an idea for the future. Maybe we'll build this around Syracuse or Wake Forest. Uh, when, when the caliber of special guest goes down a little bit. So, well, uh, that's it for this week's episode of the Shamrock. Matt and I will be back on Saturday. Neither of us will be attending the game. Um, I'll, We're not having a watch party, though. I'm not allowed no, in Indiana. I'm supp- yeah, I'm supposed to be attending a neighbor's Halloween party. We'll see. I might be in and out like that. So if I pop up on the podcast, fortunately, we're audio only. I may be dressed as Voldemort at that point, okay. but um, we'll see. It should be a fun Saturday. Uh, and it will just be really one game closer to Clemson. So until Saturday night, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. We will talk to you on our next episode of The Shamrock. Thanks for listening.